that. I appreciate it. Man, good Monday night crowd. Some of you barely got home from work. Scarfed a sandwich down on the way in. Didn't change your clothes. Fought traffic all the way. And I am so thankful you're here. God bless you for your faithfulness. I think each time I've preached here, you've been in a different auditorium. Y'all need to start paying your bills. <laughs> then you wouldn't have to move so much. Just amazing what God is doing in this church. I uh, told my wife, and I mentioned to the preacher and his wife the other night, if we moved anywhere near Fairfield, Ohio, I wouldn't visit another church. I'd walk into Bible Baptist and say, if you have us, we want to be here. So many great things about this church. Your pastor loves you. I go some places, and the preacher spends the whole meeting telling me how bad his members are. And by the time I leave, I feel really sorry for his members. He, he loves you. He loves God. He loves the Word of God. He leads you biblically. He takes a good stand. He's got a wonderful family. And people are growing and going forward. And I hope you appreciate what you have. When I pastored, I used to tell our members, I want you to take one Sunday of vacation each year. You did hear that number, didn't you? One. And I said, try to find a church like ours. Try to find a place. Bible preaching. People's lives being changed. A loving, warm congregation. Godly music. Young people are being challenged to live for the Lord Jesus. Not many like that. And this, this is a great crowd. How many of you have been here every weeknight service so far? That's all of you. Good job. Don't blow it. You only got two more nights to go. All right. Genesis 26. Stand with me if you would, please. If we look at the Word of God, beginning at verse 15. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. Now I find that bizarre. It's hard work to dig a well. Especially in Bible times. No power tools. No hydraulics or pneumatics. Everything done by hand. And this is an arid region and water is really important. Why would you stop a well? But Philistines are in the well stopping business. Yeah, they never try to refresh you. They just try to cut off your water. Well, Bimlech said unto Isaac, verse 16, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence, and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which 
his father had called them. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Essek, because they strove with him. And they digged another well. And they strove for that also. They called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence. And he digged another well. And for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, for now the Lord hath made room for us. And we shall be fruitful in the land. The Lord help me. I want to talk to you about this thought tonight. They can take your well, but they can't take your water. Lord, thanks for this great church and my privilege and delight to be with them again. I pray that as I've come to the place as far as I know that you want me to be for tonight, you would guide, empower, and direct me. May I say everything that you want said. And leave unsaid everything you don't want said. And would we receive gladly your word. Listen obediently to the spirit of God. Your Holy Spirit. And then act responsibly. At invitation time. And we'll thank you in Jesus name. For all that you do. Amen. You be seated. 97 years earlier. Isaac's father, Abraham, has come to the same place for the same purpose. A famine in the land. And Abraham, when he got there, dug a bunch of wells. When he left, the Philistines filled him up with earth. Isaac came back almost a century later. He needs water for his flocks, his family, his herds. And so he digs again the wells that his father Abraham had dug and he names them, the Bible says, after the same names by which his father had named them. Notice number one, the titles. Now the titles Isaac gave these wells were significant. They meant something. He dug a well and they fought with him so the water's ours. He called it Essek. That means contention. He dug another well. They said, that's ours. We want it. He called it Sitna. Sitna means enmity. He dug a third well, and they didn't fight with him over that. And he called that well Rehoboth, which means plenty of room. The Lord hath made room for us in the land. There used to be when we said something, it meant something. Used to be. Used to be if a guy said, I'm a Baptist. He believed the Bible was the sole rule of the matter, so he practiced. He believed the autonomy of the local church. <coughs> he believed the priest and the believer. He believed in two ordinances, baptism, the Lord's Supper. He believed in individual soul responsibility or liberty, whichever which you want to call it. He believed in a separation of church and state and the Christian from the world. He believed in two offices, pastor and deacon. But now there's people who call themselves Baptists don't even believe the Bible. They were significant titles. You know, the Lord Jesus said, don't swear. And he meant by that, not don't curse. The 
Bible talks about words that are not convenient. I think the Bible's against cursing. But he said, don't say, I swear by the gold in the temple. I swear by the altar. He said, no, no. Let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. You'll be the kind of person, if you say something, everybody knows it's so. Significant titles. But they were the same titles. He called them after the names by which his father had called them. We are in a name-changing society. It became popular when I was a young pastor to not call yourself First Baptist Church of Bridgeport, but First Baptist Ministries. Because after all, we don't just have a church. Why, we have a nursery. We have a bus ministry. We have a Christian school. We have a junior church. We have a child care. Uh, we are way beyond just having a church. You want to get in trouble with me when I was a pastor, answer the phone, First Baptist Ministry. Now, your church may operate numerous ministries, yours does, but you will never be part of anything more important, more valuable, more significant, more biblical than an old-fashioned, Bible-believing, New Testament, Baptist church. <laughs> Jesus <coughs> died for the church, not for the ministries. By the way, I like that word, Baptist. Some people call themselves independent. Some people call themselves autonomous. I don't care. Some people call themselves fundamental. Some people call themselves orthodox. Some people call themselves Bible believers. I don't care. Those are man's words. But the word Baptist comes from the Bible. And my Bible says, the Lord Jesus said, until John were the law and the prophets. But now, the kingdom of God is preached on you, and every man presseth into it. Our Lord made a distinction in the Old and New Covenants in the person and work of John the Baptist. Right, right. Now, if that doesn't persuade you, you just tell me. Was Jesus baptized by John the Lutheran or John the Baptist? I'm a Baptist. I like the word brother. Your pastor has earned the right to use the title doctor. I have not. I've been given honorary doctor's degrees. They are like the curl in a pig's tail. They look really fancy, but they don't add an ounce of pork. <laughs> and you'll never find Dr. R.B. Willette in print that I put there. I think somebody did my blog site and put it on it. I never use it, so I probably should go back and take it off. I don't ever do that. You know why? Any old pagan can be a doctor. Only a child of God can be a brother. I'm not much impressed with the title reverend either. I looked it up. It's used once in the Bible. It's a name of God. Holy and reverend is his name. Now, I probably shouldn't confess my inadequacies in public, but I've never been ordained. I went to some ordination councils, and these rascals tried to embarrass the candidate, 
promote their pet theological doctrines. And I remember thinking as a young man, well, what's he supposed to do if you don't like him? God called him to preach. And then I remember thinking, wait a minute. You guys can't send him out in the ministry. The local church does that. Now, if I'd been to some, they'd probably do it like your church would do it. I might have been ordained, but I've never been ordained. Charles Spurgeon was never ordained. G.P. Beck was never ordained. Harry Ironside was never ordained. Uh, I, I like that title, Pastor Preacher. I can find that in the Bible. Same titles. Notice not only the titles, notice Isaac had a tendency. He had two tendencies. Number one, and you will not like this point. I do not like this point. He had a tendency to deference. They went there and his servants labored hard in hot, arid conditions. And by hand, they dug deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until finally they found water. And the Philistines came and said, that's our well. You know what Isaac said? Okay, you can have it. He dug another well. They came and said, we want that. He said, it's all right, you can have it. You know why I did that? I'll tell you why. Because he was a wimp, and he wouldn't fight for what was his. No. I read you the verse. Abimelech said, go from us. Thou art much mightier than we are. Deference is defined as giving in to the wants and wishes of others. It's a Bible command. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. I took a personality test when I was in college. I failed. <laughs> they had a, a little deal they asked the same question twice with 10 different questions. If you answered the same way seven or eight times, they said it was an accurate assessment. I answered the same way every time. I scored really high in autonomy. I scored really low in deference. The teacher, not knowing my results, said, now, if you happen to score high in autonomy, and low in deference, you won't be here very long. There's something in us that wants to have our way. Fight for what we deserve. Hang on to what belongs to us. And God said, don't do that. Would you think for a minute about the things you fuss about? Think about the issues you and your wife have uh, disagreements about. Men are terrible. They walk into the house with muddy shoes over the floor you have just cleaned. They leave a trail of clothing from the time they walk into the house until they get to the bedroom. That way you can find them if you want to. Terrible. Uh, women are not much better. One of the many reasons you'll never convince me.
there's no difference between men and women. Because I believe women have been pre-programmed with an instinctive and almost irresistible desire to see that every nook, every cranny, every pocket in the automobile is filled with something. <laughs> Napkins, straw wrappers, receipts, scraps of paper, candy bar wrappers. If I go clean the garage and I decide to open up the shelves, leave a little space, make it easier to get to stuff, if I leave it one hour, my wife's got something in there. Women are strange. They treat the garage and the car just as badly as we treat the rest of the house. Now, ladies, I got a question. How long would it take you to clean up those muddy footprints? Well, how long did the argument last? How hard is it, guys, to pull those wrappers out of the door handle and the ashtray and all the other places they've been tucked away? Really, have you ever sprained your wrist doing that? Ever got your heart rate up too high, made your blood pressure peak doing that? No, God says, give them what they want. Doesn't disobey the Bible. Defer to them. I don't like that. The average church that has trouble has trouble over what size the auditorium should be. Who got what classroom? Whose kid got what part in the Christmas program? Whose name was not mentioned when the preacher thanked people for helping with some special event? Isaac said, you can have it. But he had another tendency. He had a tendency to determination. Though he would defer to them and give them the well they wanted, he would not give up trying to get water. He had to have water. He needed water. And he was going to dig some well some other place until he got water. Isaac wasn't going to go home. Didn't it? There was a famine there. Isaac wasn't going to give up. Isaac was going to get water. Yeah. And here's the truth. We've arrived at the third point in the sermon. I will give you some illustrations to drive it home. Isaac knew something. No matter how many wells they took, there was water under the ground. And they could take this well and they could eat that well, but they could never stop him from getting water. Here's what happens in life. We have a meeting like this. You come to church, your pastor's so wise and kind and helpful and loving. People are wonderful. I used to tell our members when I was a pastor, out in the world, people lying to you, trying to cheat you, trying to take advantage of you. You ought to be able to come to church and go, and you can come in this church and go, they love me here. They care about me here. They're looking out for me here. And we have a great meeting like this. And <coughs> we'll make good decisions. We'll be encouraged. We'll be strengthened. We'll be on a higher plane spiritually. And we won't get home before some message on our phone upsets us, irritates us, bothers us, and whoosh. All that joy, all that encouragement, all that blessing is gone. 
They take your wealth. If you watch the news, they'll take your wealth. If you listen to our president speak, and most politicians, they'll take your wealth. If you go to work, they'll take your wealth. But you know what revival is? At least in some measure. Revival is when you say, wait a minute. I've let things bother me. I've not walked in the Spirit. I have not allowed the Lord to control my life. I've gotten upset about this and irritated at that and thought about this and pushed my own agenda on that. And they took my well. Uh, but I still have a Bible. I can still enjoy the washing of water by the word. I am still indwelt by the spirit of God. And Jesus, speaking of the spirit, said there'd be a well of water inside you. And they can take all the wells they want, <coughs> but they can never take my water. I can always dig another well. Gary Wilkins Left our church, went off to Bible college. Moved to Standish, Maine. Knew no one. Met for seven years in the Kiwanis Hall. I preached there for him. I've been preaching for him just about every year. I may have missed COVID and maybe when I was going through chemo. But the Kiwanis Hall was L-shaped. So he stood in the corner and he preached like this. You could have a church split and nobody had to leave. <laughs> to switch L's. His first year, no one came to any evening service. Had people in the morning, nobody Sunday night, nobody Wednesday night. I would never have done what he did. I'd had family devotions and gone home. He had songs he led to singing. Got our pianist to play some hymns, record them for him, and he played them. Yeah. He took the offering his sons passed the plate his wife gave. He preached a sermon. He gave an invitation with his wife and three boys there every Sunday night, every Wednesday night for a year. Finally, they bought seven or eight acres of property. And they built debt-free a beautiful New England-style building. They're right on 30, one of the main routes through Standish, Maine. And they were able to buy a bus, a couple of buses. They were excited. But somebody who didn't like the bus ministry set both their buses on fire. He got a call from the superintendent of schools. They've got to know New England to understand how unusual this is. You can live in New England 20 years, and they'll call you the new guy. And the superintendent school said, we understand somebody burned your bus. I says, yes, sir. But he said, we just bought some new buses. We got a couple we need to get rid of. We would like to give them to you, but we probably can't do that. Would you mind buying them for a dollar each? <laughs> hey, our buses are worth a dollar each. <laughs> And Gary Wilkins got 1700 bucks from the insurance company. <coughs> Two buses better than he had before. Somebody took his well. No 
David could take his water. Up I-75 a little bit. There's a town called Findlay. Dick Snavely, the pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church, when he was there, he was growing. People were getting saved. It was exciting. And somebody did not like what was happening there, and they burned this building. Yeah, we'll see how you do. We'll burn your building. Arsonist. Dick Snavely found a gym to meet in. He put an ad in the paper. And the ad said, churches don't burn. Buildings burn. Calvary Baptist Church be meeting at such and such a gymnasium. And they grew better and had more people saved in the gymnasium than they did in the church. Somebody took his well. Nobody could take his water. I uh, had a preacher friend named Golden Blount. He pastored the Downriver Baptist Temple south of Detroit. In that era, it was very common to go deeply in debt, have graduated payments, and count on inflation to make your payments affordable down the road. A lot of people did it. But Mount did that. But they had a church split. And now part of the people are left to pay the bills that all the people incurred. And they couldn't do it. And they lost the building. And he was so embarrassed. And so grieved. And so discouraged. And they found a little building to meet in. And they had church. But it was grim. They were hanging on to the rapture. Not much happened. One day... Golden Blount was sitting down by the Detroit River reading his Bible, just regular devotional time. He read in the book of Job, and he came to the place where the Bible says that God essentially said to Job's friends, Bildad, Zophar, Alphaz, he essentially said, this is my translation, I ain't messing with y'all. You want anything from me, you ask Job. My servant Job will pray for you. And then it said this. So then God turned the captivity of Job when he had prayed for his friends. His friends who maligned him. His friends who slandered him. His friends who falsely accused him. His friends who criticized him. Golden Blount got a hold of that. He made a list of all those people. He began to pray for them every day. It was hard. But after a while, it wasn't as hard. And after a while, he got to where he wanted God to bless them. He wanted God to use them. He wanted God to help them in the bitterness and the angst and the anguish. Left his soul. And about that time. Folks started getting saved, and the spirit of the church changed, and people started going forward for Christ. And I met Golden Blount as a happy warrior for the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody took his well. Nobody could take his water. My friend, Dr. Curtis Hudson, pastor of the Forest Hills Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and then was the second editor of the Sword of the Lord. 
minds. One of the clearest preachers I ever knew. One of the wisest men I ever knew. He hadn't been to the doctor in 30 years. He found out he had prostate cancer. Now that's very treatable if you get regular checkups. But it was pretty far gone for him. Johnny Stansel, a friend and associate of his, called me up. He said, the black horse, that's what he called Dr. Hudson, is going to preach at the Southwide Big Meeting in North Carolina, which turned out to be the last big meeting at which Dr. Hudson ever preached. He lived a few months after that, but last big, big meeting like that. And he said, we want to get a nice bus like the country singers use. Take Dr. Hudson from Murfreesboro to Charlotte. Would you help finance it? I said, sure. And then he said, would you like to ride with him in the bus? Oh, man, I said, I'd love that. And I flew down to Nashville. He picked me up, took me to the house. Got on the bus. Only one other preacher was there, some family members. And Dr. Hudson would never complain. He'd say, I don't really have any pain. I'm just a little sore. But I watched him. When he thought everybody was asleep, everybody was asleep except me and him. And just to cross or uncross his leg, he'd pull his lips tight against his teeth and rid his face just to move his leg. Got to the meeting. I had to go get a car to get to my next meeting. I heard and checked in the motel, washed up, and the family saved a spot for me. And Dr. Hudson was on that night. He preached on things that are different and not the same. You can look it up. It's a great sermon. He said the King James Bible is not the same as other translations. Independent Baptist, not the same as Southern Baptist Convention. Lifestyle evangelism, not the same as soul winning. Evangelicalism, not the same as fundamentalism. But before he preached, he said, I want to sing. And his daughter, Donna, came to the piano. And Dr. Hudson sang, well, I'm on the winning side. I'm on the winning side. No more out in sin will I abide. I've enlisted in the fight for the cause of truth and right. Praise the Lord. I'm on the winning side. It all done. And he said, my precious children have been so sweet. Oldest daughter Donna said, or Sherry, said, Daddy, I hate to talk like this. We have to talk. If you die, the Lord takes you home. What do you want on your grave marker? He said, I told her, on one side, put the plan of salvation. I'll write it for you. I've been there. Big old stone. Clear presentation of the gospel. Invitation to the person reading to pray and trust Christ as their Savior. And then he said, on the other side, put the last two verses of there is a fountain filled with blood. He said, I'm going to sing them for you if I can. And he sang, in air sins by faith. I saw the flood thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. When this poor lisping stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then 
in a nobler, sweeter song. I'll sing thy power to save. I stood there with the family. We wept unashamedly to watch that great man with such grace and courage and faith face the last months of his life. Somebody took his well. Nobody took his water. Tom Malone was a mentor of mine, friend. He uh, founded the Emanuel Baptist Church in Pontiac, Michigan, I think in the 40s. He'd been a student at Bob Jones College in Cleveland, Tennessee. He never finished school. He, uh, he found a young lady, a good bit younger than him. She was in high school. He was in college. And he wanted to marry her. And she said, Tom, I'll marry you. But we ought to have at least $1,000 in the bank. That was a lot of money back then. He said, all right. And then one day she said, Tom, are you coming in that $1,000? He said, pretty good. I got $37.48. She said, that's close enough. <laughs> and he started the church, built buildings in, in a large measure of his own hand, tended, tended brick for the mason. And he got convicted that he never finished college and before there was an interstate he would preach Sunday morning Sunday night get in the car drive from Pontiac Michigan to Cleveland Tennessee drive through the night go to class Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday after his last class Friday Jim the car drive back to Pontiac visit on Saturday preach on Sunday and the Emmanuel Baptist Church grew for many years to an attendance of 3,500 a Sunday, 2,000 on the buses, 1,500 in the driving crowd. College, Midwestern Baptist College, hundreds of graduates, probably thousands. Charles Keene in Milford, graduate of Midwestern Baptist College. And Dr. Malone got older, and his transition didn't go well, Different pastors came. The church went down. The last pastor that came in tried to get the church to stop the pension they had voted to give Dr. Malone. Tried to get him kicked out of his office. Tried to get him to take the college away from him. And finally left. And Dr. Malone was about 73 or 4 or 5 years old. And they said, Dr. Malone, would you come back and be our pastor? His first Sunday back, they had 90 in attendance and 60 of them on the bus. They had a big auditorium, 1,200 theater-style seats. And they said, Preacher, you want us to block off some of those seats? He said, Nah. We're going to face those seats until we fill them. And the old man got up every morning, ate breakfast with his wife, went to the office, did a little work, and then went out knocking on doors. Came home, had lunch, took a nap, went to the office for a little bit, and then went out knocking on doors. Came home, had supper, and then went out knocking on doors three times every day. He went soul winning, and the Emmanuel Baptist Church grew back 
to a big day of over a thousand, an average attendance of 600. And there was a time the fastest growing church of any kind in the state of Michigan was pastored by a 75 or 76 year old man. Hey, somebody took his well. Nobody can take his water. Nobody can take yours either. Father, it's so easy to let this world discourage us, distract us, even depress or disable us. Ah, but Lord, you give us water. And one well or another well, one place or another place may be stopped up. But there's more water. We are indwelt by your spirit. We are given your perfect word. We have the inestimable privilege of prayer. Would you speak to our hearts? And Heavenly Father, would you help those who have allowed something or somebody to take their well, to realize nobody can take their water, and to dig another well. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Nobody looking around, please. I wonder if you're here this evening. You say, Brother Let, I am saved. Heaven's my home. And I've let somebody or something take my well. But I realize by the grace of God, nobody can take my water. And I want to dig another well. You pray with me about that. If you say that, hold your hand up high. Let me pray for you. God bless 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 you. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful response. Lord, guide our pastor as he extends the invitation. I pray for each one whose hand was lifted for others who maybe should have indicated need. And I pray that all of us be willing not only to lift a hand, but to bend the knee in Jesus' name.